let's turn in our Bibles now to, to Daniel 10. Uh, we're actually looking at Daniel chapters 10 through 12, which I'll explain in a moment. It is a lot, uh, but that's on page 700 of your church Bibles. That's also why we don't have it printed in your service sheet. So if you need a Bible, there is one over here to my right. Uh, you could also look it up on your phone, perhaps, if you, if you need to. But Daniel 10 through chapter 12, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read chapter 10 uh, just to get us into the Word a bit, and then I'll, I'll refer to some other, some other passages within this section of Daniel. So, so keep your Bibles open, and uh, I'll invite you to, to look on with me at different points throughout the evening. But we're, we're going to close out our time in Daniel tonight. Next week is our, our Taster Sunday. We're going to invite folks after this in the neighborhood to, to come next week and try out the service and, and join us for an ice cream uh, and then we'll, we'll the, last, the last Sunday of July will be our last evening service for the summer. So we'll, we'll start back again September. Uh, and that, that evening we'll, we'll do one of the prayers in the Bible. So we'll continue the series that we're starting in the morning. Uh, so on, on the last Sunday of the month. So Daniel 10 verse, through 12, I'll, I'll begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 10 and, and read to the end of the chapter, ch- chapter, one, chapter 10, 1 through 21. And this is God's word. In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies. No meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me. And set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, 
by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. What's the point of it all? By that I mean, what's, what's the point of our world? What's the point of, of human history? The, the saying goes that, that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. But is that the, the point of history? That there's wisdom in that. But is the sole point of history to provide lessons to, to teach us what not to do in order to, to live better lives, to be more sophisticated than, than those who lived in the past? Well, Scripture says that isn't the point of history at all. That, in fact, history is, is driving to something. That it's, it's purposeful. It, there's, a, there's a movement in it. It's moving us towards something, even when it's, even when it's dangerous, or when a history appears to be bloody, or when it appears chaotic, or when it feels stagnant and dark and hopeless. History is actually moving towards a single conclusion, and that conclusion is the glory of God. That's what we see here in these, these last three chapters of Daniel. Now, I know three chapters, again, is a, is, is a whole lot in a single sermon. So why would I, why would I finish Daniel by looking at, at three whole chapters in a single sermon? Won't we miss a lot of interesting little, little details? And the answer to that is yes. We're going to miss a lot of interesting details. And there's, there's a reason for that. It's, it's because this is actually one single vision that Daniel had. So... Uh, simply on that level, it makes sense to look at it all in one go. But the other reason why I don't want to break it up is because if we were to explore uh, more of the details, every single little detail, there's a, there's a danger in trying to, to understand and interpret all of those, all those little details, especially in apocalyptic literature. So I'm preaching on the basis that, that for us, I think it's more helpful to look at the big picture and to understand the major themes of this vision, to understand the themes... That, that Daniel, I think, got, rather than trying to pick it apart too much. Besides, this vision is, is in many ways, uh, uh, in many ways, adds details to the previous vision that, that Daniel had in chapter 8. Daniel had received in, in chapter 8 a particularly uh, troublesome vision, which he didn't fully understand, if you remember. And, and uh, I preached on that a few weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that online if if you like, and that'll give you a, a bit more on what I think the, the particular history is around these visions. But my desire for us tonight is to, to conclude our time in Daniel by understanding once again the, the big important theme that, that he's been hammering away over the last few weeks, that there is a God who controls all of history. 
and he's present and he's active in the lives of his people. There's a God who controls all of history and he's present and he's active in the lives of his people. This was true before Daniel. It was true for Daniel. And it was, it's been true from Daniel until now. And so we as God's people should expect that it's true for us now and into the future. That there's a God who controls all of history and he's present and active in the lives of his people. There's a real, there's a real confidence that that should give us, isn't there? That, that as we, we come before God as his people, we can trust him even amidst the, the tumult and the, the, the difficulties and, and the sufferings and the chaos of this world. You see, in Daniel, we see that kingdoms rise and they fall, don't they? But they all rise and fall by the hand of God. Wars begin and wars end according to his purposes. And the tragedy is not that that these events happen. The tragedy is when we fail to see the hand of God in them and turn to him as our refuge and strength. So three things for us to see tonight. First of all, that history is driven by Christ. Secondly, that we're not alone in a world of chaos. And third, that, that we will rise in Christ. So first, let's see that, that history is driven by Christ. And we, we see that throughout chapter 10, what we've just read. As we, uh, as we begin, we should notice, first of all, the context of this vision. Time has once again moved on to the, the reign of Cyrus, the king of Persia. And we've not met Cyrus before, I don't believe. This, this should actually wake us up, though, for a moment. Because it's important. Cyrus was the king who who issued a decree in in the first year of his reign, allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem and begin to to clean out and rebuild the temple. We we see that in in the book of Ezra. And he issued this decree in the first year of his reign. But but did you notice when Daniel received this vision? Here he is by by the Tigris River in the the third year of Cyrus' reign. Why, Why hadn't Daniel gone back? with the other Israelites, with the other Jews to his homeland. Just last week, we, we heard his, his pleas before God, his prayer asking for God to restore his people to their homeland, to forgive their sins, and to restore proper worship of God at the temple in Jerusalem. So why was, he, why was Daniel still in Babylon when he was so passionate for the worship of God in Jerusalem? We, we don't really know the answer to that. But it's likely that he was simply too old. By this point, he was too old for the journey. The return to Jerusalem would have been, would have been a, a long and arduous journey. And, and once they arrived there, uh, the work would have been difficult and backbreaking. It would, have, it would have been too hard for someone of Daniel's age. By this point, he's, he's well past the age of retirement. He's an old man. So Daniel remained in Babylon. And he was mourning, perhaps because he felt his prayers for himself had not been answered. Even though the pra- his prayers for for God's people had been. And so we find Daniel mourning and fasting. And he's once again troubled in his soul. And that's, that's reflected in, in his, his outward actions. And then we, he receives this vision, doesn't he? And Daniel sees this, this great and powerful man. And he's, he's clothed in, in linen and gold, which were signs of royalty. And he's to, to describe his appearance, Daniel has to, to appeal to the... The, the most precious metals and, and the most precious objects in our world. And he has to, to appeal to the most 
terrifying phenomenon in nature. Verse 7 is particularly interesting because Daniel says that he wasn't the only one. He, well, he was the only one who saw the vision, but he wasn't the only one who felt it. Those who were with him were, were troubled by it. They didn't see anything, but they, were, they trembled and they ran for their lives, kind of like uh, Paul on the Damascus Road. The presence of God, even when, when someone doesn't receive the same, the same vision or can't hear the same things, they still can, can sense the presence of, of power, can't they? Of holiness. But there's several different ideas put forward as to the identity of this person that appears before Daniel. But I'm just going to stick with what I believe is the most straightforward, uh, rather than going through all the options. I I believe this was, was Christ Jesus, that he's, he's appeared to Daniel in a, a, a pre-incarnate Christ. And the reason I think that is because we later see uh, a similar description of the ascended Christ in Revelation chapter 1. And the parallels between the two, if you go and look at them, uh, are striking. And in my mind, it makes the identity of, of this person unmistakable as the Lord Jesus what we see in this description is the sufficiency of Christ in the triune God. We get a glimpse of, of his power, don't we, in, in the physical form that he takes. But it's underlined as well in the, the response of Daniel to him. How does Daniel respond to him? He, he falls down before this man, having lost all, all of his strength. And he's unable to speak. And this is, this is the natural response of humanity to a holy God. We cannot stand in the presence and we cannot open our mouths to speak before a holy and righteous God. He's beyond us. And all we can muster within ourselves is is fear and trembling. And we see that in Daniel. But that's perspective, isn't it? You know, this this vision that Daniel has, it's it's perspective. This is the God that we we gather to worship every Sunday. And when when we come to worship him, we we come and we stand in, in his presence. But if we were to, to stand in his, his physical presence, then we would be unable to even lift our, our humble praises to him. It's an important perspective, I think. Because when we will stand in his presence at the end, and when we worship him rightly, it will be as a people who are renewed and made clean and holy through Christ. We hear that, don't we, in the words of Christ to Daniel. What does Jesus say to him? Well, Jesus tells him that he's greatly loved. And he lifts him up onto his feet to, to stand before him. And then he, he touches his mouth so that, so that he can speak. And, he, and, and Jesus says to Daniel these words he says, that, that he says quite often to his people. He tells Daniel, fear not. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words see to put it plainly Jesus tells Daniel I, I love you and I'm, I'm here to respond to your prayers I'm here because I care for you and the way that he responds to his prayers is by, by actually giving him more detail on, on the visions that, that Daniel had previously seen but not fully understood back in chapter 8 and the point of all this for us is, is actually to, to take comfort in the character and work of our great God. Christ comes to Daniel and essentially says to him, where you and, and God's people have been, even in captivity, 
you've been there in Christ. And where you're going and where God's people are, are being led will be in Christ. And our, our great God controls history for his purposes is what he's saying to Daniel. And if this is true for Daniel, then, then it's true for us too, isn't it? These visions should give us courage because in them we see that Jesus not only holds physical history in his hands, but he also controls the spiritual world. Apocalyptic literature often reveals this to us. That's, that's one of the reasons why uh, it can be so conf- confusing and confounding because uh, Daniel's having to describe spiritual realities to us with physical descriptions. And sometimes we can get lost in that, can't we? We can try and decipher who who is this person or, or, or what was this event? And it may be one that we didn't actually see. It could be something that was happening in the spiritual realms. But the point is the same. And it's simple and it's it's critical for us to get that the Lord Jesus is the one who drives history both the seen and the unseen. What this means is is seen in our second point. Because what this means is that that we're not alone in a world of chaos. Now Jesus again reveals to Daniel in in greater detail than than before what is to come. While he he does this does apply to I think a particular period in history. There are principles here that that extend uh, throughout the history of the world and, and are applicable to us today. It's applicable to God's people in in all places and in all times. And there's a clear story arc, if you will, to to how this this vision is laid out for Daniel in chapter 11. And we see if you you kind of glance down at chapter 11, we see the the tension building as there's this this quick succession of kingdoms. The Greeks, then then chapter 11, verse 2, you see from the Greeks three more kingdoms. And then a fourth one arises quite quickly. And each one is, is vying for power, aren't they? Each one's trying to control the world. And the fourth kingdom is, is powerful in its riches. And it stirs up the others to, to rebel against the Greeks. And then we see power consolidated. But again, quickly it, it fragments again. And, and you see this rise and fall of kingdoms and this fragmentation. And then finally, as we, we near the climactic moment, a king rises in verse 36 of chapter 11, who seems to be more powerful and more tyrannical than any who's come before him. Look at verses, chapter 11, verses 36 through 39. It says this, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other God, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his father did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. And this is, this is, is, is human authority, isn't it? At its, at its absolute worst. You know, we get a sense of the this, this supreme ruler. He's going to, to take what he wants. 
He'll, he'll reward loyalty. He'll punish dissent. He'll, he'll act almost as a god himself. He'll reject the true god. In many ways, this, this is like the Roman Empire. If, if, you, if you look back uh, at what Rome was like, the emperors would often require the people to, to burn a pinch of incense to them just as, as, to, to, as a sign of worship, worshiping the emperor as a god. Just this little pinch of incense. And actually God's people, they, the church uh, in the, the first and second century had to decide whether or not they would burn that pinch of incense or stand for the one true God. And many died as a result of that. Indeed, we see in, in this vision that, that God's people will not be immune but will be caught up in, in the tumult of history, won't they? That we, we don't stand immune as God's people. Look at that at verse 41. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. The glorious land is, of course, the land of Israel, the, the land of God's people. They weren't immune to the instability of the, the rise and fall of these nations. If, if you worry about the state of the world, what Jesus says is your problem isn't that you're, you're trusting in, in the wrong worldly politician or, or the wrong worldly kingdom. He's saying that, that your problem is that you're trusting in any of them. That's the whole point of this whole chapter. If you, you see how kingdoms rise and fall so quickly... If you're trusting in that, then you're always going to feel anxious and unstable, tossed about by the rise and fall of the kingdoms. What we see in all this is, is again, the nature of our world. What appears to be driving history, what looks like it's it's the lust for power, right? The lust for control, the the lust for wealth, the driving passion to to leave a mark, to, to, to make a name for oneself. That all holds true today, doesn't it? When we listen to, to political leaders, what do they what do they all want? They just want to serve the country, of course, right? Their heart's pure; it's it's in the right place. You know, they all just want to do what's best for the people because they're just servant-hearted. The truth is, they want to do big things for their own glory, isn't it? It's like people don't trust politicians today. Yeah, there was the other night, uh, one of the, the debates, the, the moderator asked the audience, who, who trusts politicians here in the audience? And, and not a single hand went up. Because everyone knows they're, they're out for their own gain. You know, they want to be remembered as, as a great prime minister. Or they want to be remembered as, uh, they, they want to get a place in the House of Lords or, or something like that. What's, the House of Lords is, they said, the, uh, uh, the best tax-funded uh, daycare center for the elderly in this country. Uh, I saw that on a, on a documentary a few years ago. But let's not miss the, the, the climactic moment of this whole thing. There's actually two here, but the, the first is one is in, in verse 45 of chapter 11, this, this first climactic moment. What happens to, to a system like this one, where, where the, the kings of this world are, are living for their own glory? Well, the whole thing collapses under its own weight, doesn't it? And it often happens when you, when you least expect it. Look at verse 45. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea 
and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. See, just when this, this great king, the king of the north, thought he had settled everything, when he thought it was finally time that he could, he could uh, put his feet up, he could establish his palatial tent, the tent of his relaxation, and, and, and have a holiday uh, between the, the, the mountains and the seaside. What happens? He pitches his tent in the most beautiful, beautiful spot in the world, and the king comes to his end. And he comes to his end, friendless and alone. You see, the powers of this world are, are fleeting because the kings of this world are not the true king of this world. That's what chapter 10 taught us, isn't it? That's what Christ is underlining here in chapter 11, that Christ alone is the true king. And the truth is that as God's people, we, we suffer with everyone else. But we have a great hope because of uh, we, we know the true king. And the second climactic moment in this vision is, is about to come in our third and final point. The second climactic moment in our third and final point this evening and, and our third and final point, our final point from, from the whole book of Daniel is that we will rise. That we will rise. Look at, at chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who, who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to, to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn may many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This is the second climactic moment in, in this vision. What, what can we expect from human history? We, we can expect it to be troubling. We can expect it to be uh, worrisome. And then we can expect it to be concluded. But notice that this, that, that, that the, what the conclusion looks like in verse 2. It says, we're going to, to rise. It says we're going to rise. Both, both the wicked and the righteous are, are going to rise. But the wicked, the righteous, the, the wise as they're called, that, that is the, the ones who are obedient to God, they'll, they'll rise to everlasting life. Where they'll shine like the stars in the sky. Maybe you saw the, the pictures this week of uh, uh, from, from the new telescope that, that was launched into space, uh, I think it was last year, maybe earlier this year, and they revealed the, the incredible beauty of, of deep space, the, the glories of, of the heavens, of, of, of deep space. God says his people will shine like the, the wondrous stars in the heavens because they'll be holy as, as Christ is holy. Others, the wicked, will experience everlasting shame and contempt. The only only way to avoid it, the only way to shine like the stars in the sky is to, to place ourselves by faith in the hands of the one who is mightier than all the kingdoms of this world. The one that, that Daniel fell down before back in chapter 10. Christ Jesus the King who neither rises nor falls but simply is. 
If we're in him, then our, our great hope is that we will rise with him, even as he rose. Now notice finally the, the reaction of Daniel to all of this. He's anxious about it, isn't he? He has loads of questions. Many of us have the same questions, don't we? Look at 12 verse 8. I, I heard, but I did not understand. That makes, that makes let's see, how many of us are there? Two, four, six, eleven. Yeah, that makes 11 of us, 12 of us if you count Daniel, who heard but didn't understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? See, Daniel wants to know what, what all this means. He wants, he wants the details. He, he got the vision. He, he didn't understand it. What's, it, what's, this, what's this mean? When's this, when's this going to happen? Who's this king of the north? Who's this, who's this horn over here? Who's, who's this other horn? What, like, like, like fill in the gaps. What's all of it mean? And listen to the answer to that question. Verses 9 and then verse 13. He said, go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. And then verse 13, but go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. You can picture Daniel, can't you? This, this old man at, at, at the end of his days and at the end of his strength. He's standing there in, in frail and old and tired by this this riverside and he's seen this this vision of of a lifetime's worth and many lifetimes worth of struggle and suffering and he's experienced in his own life the suffering of, of life under the secular powers of this world and he's he's begging Christ just to know a bit more about how it's all going to work out. He just wants to know a bit more detail. How, how's it all going to work out? Because it's all, and he's told it's, it's not for him to know all the details. Because it's all in God's hands. And that should be enough. Because if it's all in God's hands, then, then Daniel can go and he can die. And he can die and rest in peace and wait for the resurrection to come. What, what Jesus has said to Daniel, what he says to us tonight, is, is right now, literally in, in, in Babylon, out in the Middle East, there's a bunch of dust in the ground that are the bones of Daniel. And one day Christ is going to come and he's, he's going to call out to Daniel. And he's going to call out to, to all the others that have died. And that dust is going to become bone. And that bone is going to become flesh. And, and, and we're going to rise in him. And, and the righteous to join Christ in the heavenly places. To, to shine like the stars in the sky. And God is, God is calling Daniel simply to, to trust him. To have faith in him. To know the, the nature of the days every day between now and then. But, but not to know every, every answer and every detail. Because when, when you have Christ, you don't have to have every detail, do you? I wonder if Daniel felt satisfied with that. I wonder if you feel satisfied with that. Is the God who, 
who directs all of history sufficient for you to live for and for you to one day die for, either either in the struggle or, or at peace in your bed at home. You see, the calling of Daniel is, is actually our calling. It's to live faithfully for our Lord and Savior with, with every fiber of our being, every single day that, that he causes, calls us to, to rise and to live. Every single day it's to live in him with every fiber of our being. And it's to trust that he is holy and just and good. And that he remembers his people. And that he he holds us in his sovereign hands. Does that comfort you? It should. We don't have to know every detail of these visions. and, And we don't have to parse them out bit by bit. And if you think you can or you, you think the mysteries will be revealed to you somehow, then that's awfully arrogant when, when Daniel himself didn't receive them, isn't it? We don't need all the details because we have seen the God who holds and directs history in Christ Jesus. And he's worthy of our trust. And, and if we trust in him, then, then we'll find rest for our souls. Where have we been and where are we going is history just there to make us, make us, uh, prevent us from, from making the same mistakes again? Is it just there to, to help us avoid messing up? No, history is, is taking us on a journey. And that journey is to the glory of God. And every single one of us will arrive there. It's a one-way trip, and one day that glory will fill the whole earth. And God's people in Christ will, will bow before His heavenly throne in holiness and will worship Him because He alone is worthy. Let us pray.